Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. Good morning, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for a Tuesday morning episode. Today, I have an interview with historical fiction author Zoe Sivak. We talk about her debut novel, Mademoiselle Revolution. And then, of course, I have your guide to this week's new releases. So let's get started. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the book bistro podcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am chatting with author Zoe Sivak about her upcoming novel, Mademoiselle Revolution. At least it's upcoming at the time of recording because it is not out in the world until August 2nd, which is tomorrow. But by the time people are actually hearing this, it will be out in the world for you to read and love. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Shannon. And that's a little funny to think of it that way, because it's like, oh, yes, the people in the future who all have my book. That's a little yes. strange to think of it that way, but yes. Yes, people don't have it right now, but when people actually hear this, they will. It'll be the 2nd of August or, or later. Oh, my goodness. Or later, oh, yes. <laughs> So can we start with a brief introduction to Mademoiselle Revolution in case listeners haven't had a chance to uh, like, you know, hear the blurb or see any early online buzz about this? Sure, sure. I'm getting slowly but surely better at it. Maybe within the next few years, I'll be able to give a proper elevator pitch. But so far, uh, I would like to say that it follows a biracial woman. Um, her name is Sylvie de Rosier, uh, and she is born on, um, it's called Saint-Domingue, which is modern day Haiti. Um, and she's born on an indigo plantation to a white planter father. And over the course of the novel, she comes to terms with her own privilege and her own burdens as being a mixed race person. Um, and as she tries to alienate herself from her family um, and escape the what begins as the Haitian Revolution, she flees with her brother to the uh, France, specifically Paris. Uh, and this is in 1791. Um, not realizing that the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror uh, are hot on her heels. So that, I would say, is, is a, my best pitch uh, of, the, of the book. Um, I, I try to keep it short and sweet, uh, because if I don't, I'll start going on in a huge tangent. So I think that's as concise as I can get. Well, tangents are not necessarily bad things, especially when they are bookish tangents. Bookish tangents. I my half of my head, Shannon, is bookish tangents. Half of it Beautiful. is literally. The other half is how to not put metal in the microwave, and then the other part is bookish tangents. No, no, no metal in the microwave. Bad no, things happen if you do that. <laughs> like sparks fly, and not the kind we read about in in <laughs> romance novels. <laughs> that was smooth. Sparks fly, and not in the way that we like. <laughs> no, no, don't don't do it. Don't do it. Dear readers, do not do that. <laughs> so I, I felt for Sylvie quite a bit as I was reading this because, you know, she was expecting to be safe in Paris. Right. And very clearly, you know, she, she could not be because she did kind of 
move from one revolution like right exactly. into another. Oh, exactly. Um, you know, Paris, a lot of uh, these Western cities, you know, that we've grown to know and love and, you know, their kind of cultural identities have been pretty much the same for most of modern and early modern history, which this is, that's considered modern history is like from 18th century onward, right? And, you know, people would have loved Paris for the same reasons we love Paris today, the architecture and the history and the clothes and the intellectualism and, you know, all those wonderful reasons. And so Sylvie's like, oh, excellent, you know, we'll go to Paris because, you know, she considered herself French as anybody who grew up in a French territory would. Um, and she goes and um, she, uh, of course, you know, the Bastille has occurred. There, there was still significant kind of political shifts happening. Yes. Um, but it wasn't, you know, what we would come to see um, in the rest of the novel um, and, and unfortunately, you know, history books. So Sylvie so really couldn't have anticipated what type of upheaval she was going to witness. Um, and it also wouldn't have been the type of upheaval that she was fleeing from. It, you know, we right. understand, right, the, the Haitian Revolution, I think, makes more concrete sense. Um, it makes sense to Sylvie and it makes sense to us. Whereas I think when, you know, I'm learning about the French Revolution and when Sylvie is, is, is living it, um, I think it's a lot messier. And I think when you're trying to compare the two, you end up with a lot of dissonance where you're like this, one of these is not like the other. So she struggles a little bit with kind of understanding the, the ins and outs of, of French life um, and unfortunately what becomes the terror. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's not quite what she bargains for, unfortunately. No. So what was sort of your inspiration for putting Sylvie, you know, in this particular situation where she moves from one revolution to another and then becomes kind of caught up in right. the, you know, political machinations that were going on during the Ex reign of terror. Oh, exactly. Um, so, you know, I start all of my books, um, the whopping one that is being published, <laughs> but give me time, give me time. Um, but, you know, of all the books I'm, I'm writing and, and have written and, and ever will, I, I start with something that I think is important to share with people, right? I don't think that we have an obligation to teach with our books, but I personally, that's kind of my shtick. I like to teach folks stuff. Um, teach folks stuff. That's my, that's my bit. Um, and, you know, what I found overwhelmingly fascinating um, is just how seismic the Haitian Revolution is and was. Um, not only for the folks that were alive at that time, but for us now. Um, and so I wanted to fit it into the framework of the histories maybe we are more familiar with, which say like the United States history and French history. Um, maybe not everyone can't, you know, I'm certainly not, but, you know, we're not all French revolution academics, but we, you know, no. we've heard people, we, you know, know about the guillotine. Um, you know, maybe we've seen some of the art and know the, the Marseillaise and, you know, the imagery of the French Revolution, vive la revolution, like, you know, we, we know some of this. Um, and I wanted to basically restore the tie that was between the Haitian Revolution and the French Revolution and that they kind of were born from the same fruit. Um, and I thought that Sylvie would be such a wonderful conduit for that because not only does she kind of represent the hypocrisy I think of the French empire and then eventually, you know, the, the French um, government. Um, but she, she's also kind of a human tether for us to understand that, you know, maybe while one country or one part of it is discussing freedom and enslavement, um, a place like Haiti or at the time Saint-Domingue is really experiencing it, I think, in a more literal sense. Um, yes. And just how that dissonance would have been really uncomfortable for someone like Sylvie, who's like, but, you know, you're using these words and I don't think they mean what you think they mean. Um, and so she, you know, she has to, well, she loves, I think, a lot of the, the kind of um, theoretical ideologies of the French Revolution. And she, she's seeing some of these things in practice and it's not really what she was promised. Um, and so I, I just think that it's it's a good way to use her as a microscope. Um, and a way to be mm -hmm. a little bit more critical of the histories that sometimes we more blindly accept um, because they maybe seem simpler. So we get to see through Sylvie's lens, you know, a lot of that political upheaval as it's happening in, in Paris. And, you know, I studied um, 
I took some French in high school. And so I studied a little bit of kind of the more, you know, commonly known things that we would know about, you know, in, in like high school history, high school French about the French Revolution. And I really enjoyed kind of seeing that magnified a little bit so that, you know, I can like read your book and think like, oh yeah, okay. I remember, you know, when I was learning about this in Mm -hmm. class, but actually see it in kind of a, a deeper, more nuanced way, aside from just what appears, you know, on the pages of a textbook. Right. Well, I mean, isn't that why we like historical fiction, right? Yes. You know, there, there's, I think there's a lot of reasons. I was actually thinking about this the other day, you know, why do we like historical fiction? I personally think that it keeps us honest. Um, I think it's harder sometimes to be as critical um, and to be as invested um, in what's happening around us now, um, because sometimes it seems messier and we don't have the benefit of hindsight. So it's um, it's harder to engage with it, I think, as honestly. Um, whereas when we look at historical fiction, say, you know how it all ends, right? Right. Um, maybe not every character. I don't expect you to, you know, I remember taking high school French. You know, it's it's we maybe we don't remember every person or every conjugation of every verb. But we we you know, we remember some you know, general uh, things here and there. Um, and. It, it for me, I I think that using this book as kind of a pedestal to bring the French Revolution, I think, more into the light. There have been other books, you know, of course, about the French Revolution. But I find that generally, at least in American media, it can be a little romanticized. Yes. Um, and it can be a bit distant. Um, and when speaking with French friends and French students, and, you know, of course, every researcher, I'm going to always ask, you know, so how would you, in my best French, you know, how would you characterize, you know, the French Revolution? Because, you know, on Les Etats-Unis in the United States, we, you know, we consider it, you know, a lot as an extension of our own revolution, right? Freedom, the proletariat, you know, all that, all that mumbo jumbo. You know, their first response is, oh, no, c'est le terreur, terrorisme, it's terror, it's, it's terrorism. And, you know, from my understanding and the way that I have been taught, especially up till this point, I would very much agree with that statement. And I find myself being frustrated with people not being able to say, appreciate a lot of the enlightenment ideals that started Mm -hmm. for it. And then not really being able to separate that from what essentially happened after, which is rioting and mass murder. Yes. Um, And there's, I I always quote it because I think it's really actually useful. Um, So Hamilton, if you, if you are familiar at all with the musical. Ah, yes. Right, right. And there's that, that line where they're having the debate and, and, and Thomas Jefferson is, is being critical just as he did historically. He's like, you know, did you forget Lafayette? Do you, you know, we, we promised them our aid and yet we are not offering it. And, and Washington challenges, he says, the people aren't leading, the people are rioting. Um, and it's concerning to me that you don't know the difference. And I would say that that's actually a very fair representation. It was what begins as protest, such as like the Bastille, really yes. develops into basically a bunch of white men with very big egos taking very new concepts and and meshing it with violence and basically trying to satisfy a mob, right? Um, and I, I don't go into extensive detail as to what happened um, in terms of violence and assault, because I try not to commodify and I, I try to be very specific when I show violence, not because I'm squeamish or because I don't think it belongs in books, but because I try to see these events as real, um, you know, just as I wouldn't have a mass shooting in a novel just to add aesthetic or 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 sexual violence just for the sake of hiding mm-hmm. stuff, right we don't do that I I add things when they are important to the plot of the novel or to fully understanding something and so in this instance I mean I try to be very specific in the instances that I use um, because unfortunately the French Revolution while we call it the French Revolution and it was um, really the best thing that came out of it was the metric system <laughs> Um, the metric system is probably the only thing that came out of all of these things, um, you know, all of that violence and all of the bloodshed um, that was uh, an undiluted good. Um, unfortunately, the abolition of slavery didn't make it. Gender um, equity didn't make it. Divorce didn't mm-hmm. make it. 
Um, the only thing that we got out of all of that loss and all of that pain was the metric system. Um, and, and so, yeah, so, I mean, that's why I chose to write what I did is because I wanted to connect all of these themes while also helping readers who maybe had this idea of it um, as this kind of, in, I guess, like American ideals on steroids that, you know, freedom and, and liberté, égalité, fraternité, you know, those concepts. Um, and without really seeing just how for someone like Sylvia or any person, I mean, your family, your friends, I mean, they'd be driving out of their homes at 3 a.m. and you right. wouldn't see them again. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there, but that's, that's why I think that, I think that can get at the answer. And I think like people that sort of considered themselves, you know, safe because of various like alliances that they either really had or thought they had, um, you know, very quickly learned that those alliances were not any kind of guarantee of safety. Exactly. Um, and I, that's a, that's a perfect way to put it because it's, it's, the problem is safe was a moving needle all right. the time. You know, every other week there, there was new legislation, there were new statutes. I mean, the, the, uh, the law of suspects, gosh, whoever is in charge of marketing, fantastic, because that is a terrifying, terrifying name for a law. Um, it and is. That law, it, anybody, anybody could have been su- suspect um, of, of being an enemy of the revolution. And unfortunately, many people were there there was no protection um it's difficult to know exactly how many people died and of course i'm only focused in paris things actually could get in terms of like a uh, what would i say like a ratio things got even worse in say lyon like in in other cities outside velmi you know different areas that without throughout france um we're going through this this is not specific to paris um this entire country burned um and i don't know if it was you know, if it was for the greater good or not. Um, I think that's more for the reader to decide. Uh, But no one was safe. So I also was really intrigued to see Sylvie represented as a queer woman during Mm -hmm. a time when, you know, obviously people like to believe, I think, that queer people didn't exist historically. And obviously we know that there have been queer people for you know, as long as there have been people. So what kind of prompted you to like add that element to Sylvie's character and to kind of make that, you know, a central part of who she was and kind of a a pivotal, you know, thing of of her experience um, during this this reign of terror? Sure. Um, So, you know, firstly, uh, sexuality, as we understand it, is very modern. Um, within maybe a hundred and not even 150 years old, the idea of, of being queer at all. Um, and as a quote unquote queer woman myself, uh, you know, this book, it just felt natural to me um, because they, they really wouldn't have had these critical dissonant thoughts about their own sexuality because that language and framework didn't exist yet. Um, mm-hmm. people had, you know, gay relationships because people are, like you said, people are people. Um, and they, you know, really most of the, the cultural stigma was more about A, if it was public and B, if it in any way in, in, interfered with what you were supposed to be as an ideal, such as, you know, a father, a mother, a good, you know, Catholic husband, a good Catholic wife. Um, you know, these types of behaviors were supposed to be kept private and generally, I, I mean, ideally did not exist once married. Um, obviously, they did happen. I mean, a good example is, I mean, it was a running joke that Marie Antoinette and the Princesse de Lamballe were in a lesbian relationship. I mean, there were very public satirical comics about it. Um, I mean, this is not something that was a secret um, that, that two women could love each other. Um, I mean, it could be used, you know, to hurt someone, you know, to to try and, you know, weaponize it or make it satire. Um, But I mean, it was clearly something that women did. I mean, in the 18th and 19th century and 20th centuries, I mean, the whole joke was that when girls went to school, you know, if you're an upper middle class, upper class young woman, I mean, you went to school and a finishing school. I mean, you would have sexual and romantic relationships with your friends. It was very normal, uh, normal behavior. And so again, I mean, all of these things just to inform the fact that uh, it, it wasn't so much an act of choice on my part. It was just how the story progressed. I felt that Sylvie and Cornelie 
uh, would have been immensely attracted to each other. I think Sylvie would have been, is very attracted to Cornelie's confidence, um, Cornelie's privilege, um, her healthy family relationships, her healthy sense mm -hmm. of self. Um, I think Sylvie wanted and desires the things that Cornelie has um, and ends up wanting her herself. Also, Sylvie uses her femininity and her sexuality very fluidly um, because it's how she perceives her own value. Um, and so I think as she kind of starts with this, oh, I'm going to get close to him by getting close to her, she, you know, quote unquote, catches feelings um, and they end up falling very much in love. Uh, and it just seemed natural to me for a girl who um, in every cultural meaningful sense would have been sexualized since she was very young. I mean, of yes. course, she would be, you know, she, she would have been um, or wouldn't have thought twice, I think, about about using that for personal gain. And she does for, you know, throughout the book. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it you know, her queerness um, is just a reality um, as opposed to, you know, a plot point. Um, because it wouldn't have been um, unless she were in, you know, because she she's more or less a fairly independent woman throughout the, in, you know, for most of the book. So it yes. just wasn't something that would have been right. Who was going to criticize her? Who was going to be upset? Who would have known um, in this super libertine, radical, you know, faction of, uh, you know, Democrats? No, you know, they weren't going to care. Um, half of them were queer. So it, 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 yeah. So I guess that's, I think, how I can best kind of address it. It just a lot of the framework to, to hold it under, a, uh, I think, a more critical lens just doesn't exist. And it just seemed natural knowing Sylvie and knowing the other characters that it would progress that way. And I think I think it turns out well. So is Sylvie based on a real person? Nope. Okay. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, there are plenty of, of free Black women in, in France and, um, you know, throughout the French territories. Uh, but no, she is just, um, I think, an amalgamation of uh, of characteristics that I, I wanted and, and identities that I want represented. Perfect. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. We are recording just a day ahead of your publication. So now that Mademoiselle Revolution is almost in the world, what can we expect next from you? Uh, nothing that I can talk about just yet, Shannon. Um, ah. <laughs> um, um, but this, this won't let it, I'll say this, this won't be my last book. How about that? Um, Sad. I, I will always be writing historical fiction and it's always going to be about restoring history. So, so you can definitely anticipate something else. Oh. <laughs> Your little sigh. I'm I, sorry. I will, I will do my best to wait I'm, patiently. I'm so I know you've just been dying to know, but I just, I, alas, uh, it, I, everything is just so tight under wraps. I mean, you know how it oh, is. Oh, I do. <laughs> I do. Well, I hope that whatever it will be, um, will be, you know, pretty soon. I imagine it's kind of frustrating. It takes you a really long time to write a book. Right. And I read this in like two days. <laughs> But it's kind of fun. I've never like obviously that's true. And it's just like I was having that moment the other day. I was like flipping through the book and I'm just like, if obviously if I hadn't known that I read it, it's just it's just a book. And I think once you become an author or a writer, just somebody who's in the industry and you can fully appreciate just how much effort and and time and money and and perspectives and love goes into each and every one of these books, no matter if they're D plus or A minus books, it doesn't matter. It be this a huge amount of you know effort, and then it's just it just ends up on a shelf, like it's nothing. And then someone just reads it, and then they just have it, and it's so it's just surreal. It is so surreal to me still when someone like you, you know, we're on our Zoom call, you know, talking into a void, and you say, oh yeah, I read it, and blah blah blah. blah. It's like, but I I made up, I made it up, I made up this whole world put it in a book made out of trees, pressed together, and you read yes. from wherever you are. That's insane, Shannon. That's witchcraft. Although actually, to be very um, literal, I read the audiobook. Oh my, how was it? 
It was amazing. You have such a stellar narrator. I've heard her before. Yes. Um, And so I was really excited to see, you know, just how she would do with this. And it was incredible. I am so glad to hear that. I I was able to be very involved in the process. um, And she was my top choice. Um, Have you heard it yet? I have not. No, I was just thinking I've only got to hear like um, her like examples. I didn't get to hear oh. her actually read any of the book yet. So I'm, oh. I don't know. This is I mean, keep this in the recording, but I, I don't know. Like, do I have to buy my own audio book? <laughs> I want to hear it. Like, I want to know what it sounds like. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited. And I'm just I'm really pleased that it resonated with you because I thought she was perfect. I thought she was the yes. perfect Sylvie, the perfect yes. narrator. She she did such a great job. Um, And it's, it's a pretty long audio. Um, Right, right. How many hours? How long did it uh, take you to get through? I'm trying to remember now it is, I want to say right around like 20 hours. Wow. Okay. And you finished that in two days. So I'll tell you a secret. When you are reading an audio, like not because you choose to, but because it's right, like right. the way you get things done. Right. Um, I speed all my books up to three times normal speed. Okay. I do 2.5. Um, you do three. Okay. okay. I do three. You do um, okay. Partly because I'm used to listening to a computer speak very rapidly. Right, um, right. Into my ear all the time. And so normal human speech just seems really slow when it's yeah. when someone's reading. Um, so I speed it up to three. So yes, it was right, you know, right around like six and a half, seven hours wow. that way. I mean, that all makes um, perfect for me. But yeah. that's still I mean, that's still incredibly impressive. I see that's funny. I, I I'm, I'm hard of hearing, I guess I technically do have a word for it. Um, and so it's a bit tough for me. I like listening to audio um, or I don't like, sorry, I don't like listening to audio very much. Um, Oftentimes because in my mind, I'm like, I could understand this more easily and more quickly if it were written. So almost all the time, like if it's a podcast, I'm like, is there a transcript? Um, Like, you know, I prefer that. But then in the same breath, if it's something I have to listen to, like say an audio book and it's like, you know, I really specifically want to listen to it in that form. I also prefer it to be much faster um it's it's I just think that's interesting I'm not quite sure why that's the case but on YouTube and and audio like any audio I'm like let's speed it up it's way too slow um for some reason and in humans I mean I speak quickly as well maybe that's part of it um but you can tell me you can tell me if I speak too slowly for you and I'll speed it up (laughs) oh no it's totally fine one of my presenters um is actually visually impaired and hard of hearing and so one of the things that she does is she listens to text to speech as opposed to audiobooks. And so she'll get ah. like, you know, a Kindle book, like an EPUB copy of a book. Right. And she'll put it in her app and it will and then she can adjust the the pitch and the speed oh, of goodness. the synthetic voice. Oh my goodness. And that works a lot better for her than just listening to, you know, a regular like human read audiobook. Exactly. Cause well, cause sometimes for me, it's the, it, it sometimes the pitch is too high or too low. There really is a sweet spot yes. for me in terms of how easy it is to understand what someone's saying. If someone, you know, if someone is, is prone to mumbling, I can't, that's kind of the best way to articulate it. It's not always a volume issue. It's actually never a volume issue. It's almost mm-hmm. always a, sounds like perfect it's like simlish you know it's like a bunch of garbled words so turning it up to 11 doesn't help me I'm just like I need a different person to say what you just said <laughs> so to know that that's an option that's actually very creative I'm like you're solving all yeah, my problems it's, yeah it, it is a um there's an app that a lot of us use it's called voice dream reader voice dream. and you can mess with that in all kinds of ways and adjust, you know, kind of how it reads to you. That's perfect. I'm writing it down. That's actually gonna be very because I always, you know, sometimes certain audiobooks, I'm like, I don't like the, you know, the way the person's talking, or it's like it's not them. It's just maybe it's the pitch or ball, whatever. Uh, so it's kind of nice to know that there's an app that I have a little bit more control over. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Oh. 
we're helping each other out. I like this. It's true. <laughs> so I need to know, since you can't tell me what you're working on now, I need to know what you have read recently that you want the world to know about. Oh my goodness. Um, to be honest, what I've been reading is almost all of my stuff has been related to internships. So if you want to read, talk about legislation, about scope of oh practice, dear. which I don't think um, is quite as fun. Um, no, but, no, but uh, what I've been, I've been reading, I just started Legendborn, which is wonderful. Oh. Um, I wonder, right. I wanted to, uh, I want to give that one a start. I just started it. Um, I just finished Spinning Silver um, because obviously I loved Uprooted. Um, what is it by Naomi uh, Novak? Um, yes. And then I started reading Spinning. I mean, obviously it's old. Um, I've been, because of this summer has been the summer of graduation, internship, moving, and then internship, um, interviewing for jobs. It's been a bit chaotic. So I've been reading older books. I haven't actually caught up on anything new. Um, so I'm a terrible person. Uh, but I started Legendborn and I finished Spinning Silver. Um, and uh, both of which I immensely enjoyed. Um, and I normally don't really jump outside of my genres. I'm pretty much devoted to my historical fiction. Um, the next That's one fair. on my shelf is I have Hamnet. I'm really excited to read oh, Hamnet. Oh, I've heard such good things about that. Right, exactly. Um, I know that's probably two years old at this point. Um, but yeah, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm literally turning around. That's why my voice is just, I'm looking at my shelf. But that's, yeah, that, I would say that's where I am. Um, Hamnet is next on my list. So I'm really excited about that. And are you aware of the other um, Haitian Revolution book that came out just like a month ahead of yours? With, which one? With, Sister on. Mother Warrior. Yes, Sister Mother Warrior. Okay. I wanted to make sure that was the one I am. Um, and yes. That's actually, yes, it's actually being delivered. That's funny you say that. It's actually being delivered in like three days. Um, oh. That's another book. No, that's another book that I was going to, um, I was going to read. And you just reminded me. Thank you. Um, yes, I have I, it. I have it here. I have not read it have yet. You, read it? Um, you haven't read it yet? Not yet. No. So I'm, I'm excited, um, obviously, because when you have something as large and as layered and as, uh, you know, the Black experience isn't a monolith. Um, and that's kind no. of 50% of the premise of my book is, you know, it, it's a mixed race story before it's a Black one. Um, because the, I think there's a really specific story uh, in message uh, regarding, you know, what perspective you're, you're telling from. And so I was really, really excited to, to get a chance to read it because it not only is the cover beautiful, um, but it's, it'll offer me, I think, a different perspective of a story that I think I know well. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because well, not only, you know, wanting more diverse historical fiction and putting that aside, but it's just going to be a really beautiful way, I think, to flesh out my own personal relationship with Blackness and the Caribbean. So I'm very excited about it. I love her writing. Um, I've read some of her historical romances mm -hmm. um, and they are lush and lovely and inclusive in so many ways. Beautiful. And I, I just love that she also is doing, you know, the like historical fiction. She's done Island Queen last year. Yes, I saw that one as well. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. And then um, Sister Mother Warrior this year. Yes. No, it's going to be, I mean, I have high hopes. I, I assume it's going to be, I've never been, you know, it's funny. I find that, you know, some people when they read historical, it's, it's historical everything. Um, I don't, I almost, I don't think I've ever read um, any historical romance. Um, it just never particularly resonated. I think that if I were to, when I read romances, it's almost always contemporary. If I branch out at all, I'm almost ah. exclusively historical fiction. I have always been like that since I was 11. I just, I'm so specific um, and exclusionary. Um, I generally will only read outside my genre if it's like, um, you know, either if it's a friend's book, because, you know, of course you support your friends, um, or if it's, you know, a, a huge, you know, genre bending, you know, stuff. like, uh, for example, I love Madeline M Miller, because I still feel, uh, like yes. right, it's, it's still historical, it feels historical adjacent, um, yes, it does. So those stories I find, I find them still fairly, she's a, I'm such a passionate supporter of hers. She's, she's such a favorite. I love the way that she writes women. Um, I, I strive to, to emulate that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so Cersei and Song of the King, you know, I, I find that I will happily be in that space 
you know, if it's like historical fantasy, for example, like, um, like a Naomi Novak, like still kind yes. of, it is I that I think I'm much more comfortable going in that direction. I've almost never read any romances ever. Um, well, though, if, talk, you're, <laughs> if you're looking for a historical romance that feels, you know, that does kind of the like romance tropes and romance goodness, but feels very authentic in its history. Um, I right. do recommend either Stacey Reed um, Stacey. or Vanessa or Vanessa Riley. Perfect. Right. Okay. Because you, 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 you phrased it delicately. That's kind of what I was getting at. Um, it's like you, sometimes I feel that we can, and that's not always a bad thing. Like that's not, you know, sometimes that's not what you're looking for, right? You're, you're not looking for the authenticity. Maybe that's the, exactly what you don't want. Um, but in, in mine, the reason I like the historical is for that purpose. Um, it, it, you know, and so knowing that there is, you just gave me some really good options. I try that that it's is my like purpose. You a podcast. Have you like considered it? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> I considered it a long time before I even actually did it. Uh, yeah, good. I think you'd have mm-hmm. a real, I think you'd really be successful. I mean, oh, you should thank give it a you. Shot. You're welcome. You should I'll have shot. to work on that. You'll have to, you just get it together. I'm sure somebody would listen. I mean, somebody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of a busy summer to chat with me and to let listeners know a little bit about who you are as a person and a writer. Um, I could have, you know, we, we talked about in the beginning how, how long this might be. And if we weren't recording and if, you know, people wouldn't be very upset if this just like kind of went on, um, I would be more than happy to continue <laughs> listening to you talk about history and queerness and all of the things that, you know, people like to twist around and, and pretend don't exist in, in the way that they right. actually do. I, I could I could hear you talk about these things for, you know, much, much longer. Um, but since we are recording, I'm afraid I do have to cut this short. I'll allow it, Shannon. I'll, no, I, I, I'm anonymous. I will allow it this one time. Okay. <laughs> Can you and let listeners know the best place to find you online? Of course. Uh, I'm probably the best way to find me is either, uh, let's just say Instagram is probably the best one. So that's going to be zoe.seback uh, author at Instagram. Um, you can also find me on Twitter um, at Zoe Sivak. Um, and then, of course, there's also zoecvacauthor.com if you want to find other pieces of information, um, other announcements, um, et cetera. So those are some places to find me. I also live Perfect. in Philadelphia, if you ever happen to be nearby. Ah, <laughs> uh, Philadelphia. It's a good place. I it's a good have, circle for you. I have one more question related to Instagram, and it's something that I've recently started asking authors, and that is, do you describe your Instagram photos? Do I describe my Instagram photos? I do not, and it just occurs <gasps> to me. Uh, I know. It just occurs to me that I probably <laughs> should start doing that. Um, because it seems like it's a much more inclusive way to make sure that everyone understands what I'm doing. Uh, though recently, most things are just words, um, and I, I do write it in the caption. Um, well, that, so that works. Yeah. Oh, oh, I always put, if there's something that's written, it is always described, always uh, put in the caption, in, in, in detail. Um, if it's a, just a picture of myself, I normally don't put potato in makeup, <laughs> seated with <laughs> That's more what I was thinking when you said, do you describe the photo? My first thought wasn't even inclusivity. It was just like, why would I want to describe what I look like? Uh, because some of us don't know. <laughs> some of us don't know. So I will start. I'm sorry. I know it's a very serious question, but I'm just like. I don't oh, know no, it's, it's totally fair. I It is my. <laughs> she has to put on her eyebrows every morning. <laughs> my weird description. It, it is my new quest to convert the sighted world into captioning their Instagram photos with, you know, image descriptions to promote digital accessibility everywhere. Oh, no, no. And that makes perfect, wonderful sense. And even if it makes me slightly uncomfortable, even if it's just a photo of me, I will make sure I describe what I'm doing, what I'm wearing, what I'm holding, because it needs to be acceptable. That's very fair. I promise I will do that. I will actually go in when we're done now and I will go through and I will put that, assuming I should have room in all of them, 
um, and I will put in um, a description in all of them, okay? Oh, thank you so much. No, of course. It's the easy, it's easy on my part, and it makes it easier for everyone else to enjoy. Um, it does. <laughs> this has been a rather off-the-wall and amazing discussion with author Zoe Sivak about Orange Cats, history, and her upcoming novel, Mademoiselle Revolution, which releases in the U.S. on August 2nd. All right. New books. So as always, I'm going to start with some things that you've heard us talk about before. And this is on our most anticipated releases of October episode. I'm going to start out with a book that Brooke mentioned. This is The Witch Hunt, Witch Haven, book two, by Sasha Peyton Smith. We then have... A few books that Stacy mentioned, The Bell of Belgrave Square, Bells of London, book two by Mimi Matthews, which is historical romance, That Summer in Berlin by Leisha Cornwall, which is historical fiction, and The Forgotten Phantom, Creature Feature, book one by Catherine Ann Kingsley which is a Phantom of the Opera retelling. Georgina is looking forward to the latest from Robin Peterman. This is It's a Hard Knock Midlife, Good to the Last Death, book eight. This is paranormal women's fiction, if that's a thing that you're into. Okay, so let's move on to some things that you haven't heard us talk about before. I'm going to start with some fantasy. Um, if you're an urban fantasy fan, you might be interested in Unorthodox Chronicles. And the first book in that series is out this week, and it is Dead Man's Hand by James J. Butcher. This is about a young man with magical powers who is breaking the rules of magic in order to solve the murder of his mentor. So again, this is Dead Man's Hand, Unorthodox Chronicles, book one by James J. Butcher. We also have a new Donna Grant this week. She is starting a new series. This is Iron Ember, Sky Druids, book one. And Donna Grant is, I think, best known for her Dark Kings series, which is an enormous series in urban fantasy. Um, she also has a few spin-off series. So I'm not sure, I could not tell from the synopsis, if this one is set in the Dark Kings universe or if it is totally separate so this one is Iron Ember, Sky Druids, book one by Donna Grant. We also have a new book in the Devabad series by S.A. Chakraborty. This is River of Silver, and this is the fourth book in the Devabad series. And the first book was City of Brass, and it was released in, I want to say, like 2017 or 2018. It is a really awesome mix of like, uh, like gins and all of the mythology that goes along with those, um, political intrigue. It was just a really, really excellent book. If you have not checked this author out, I highly recommend that you do so. So this is River of Silver, Devabad, book four by S.A. Chakraborty. Okay, so let's talk about some mysteries, thrillers, suspense, all those twisty things. We have The Other Side of Night. This is by Adam Hamdy. It is the story of three people whose lives are inextricably bound together by a series of strange deaths. Again, it is The Other Side of Night by Adam Hamdy. If you like police procedurals, 
you might be interested in the new Val McDermid. This is 1989. It's Allie Burns, book two. And this is um, kind of, if you remember back to McDermott's early writing when she was writing her Katie Brannigan series, this looks a lot like those. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to be as dark as her um, Tony Hill and Carol Jordan series or some of her standalones, um, but definitely police procedurals with an independent, strong female lead. So this is 1989. It's Allie Burns, book two, by Val McDermott. There is a new Stacy Green book out this week. This is Her Frozen Heart, and it's Nikki Hunt, book six. And interestingly, this is a series that was talked about for the first time on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Um, Brooke mentioned the first book, which is The Girls in the Snow. So if you've read that and you're ready for the latest one, this is Her Frozen Heart. It's Nikki Hunt, book six by Stacy Green. We also have Dark Room Etiquette. This is by Robin Rowe. It's about a teenage boy who is living a privileged life. Everything is great, he thinks, until he's kidnapped by a man who tells him that everything he's known about his life has been a lie. This is Dark Room Etiquette by Robin Rowe. If you like historical mysteries, I have a couple of things here for you. We have Treachery on 10th Street, Gilded Gotham Mystery, book three by Kate Belly. This is set in Gilded Age, New York. I read the first one when it came out a couple of years ago and really enjoyed it. Our heroine is a journalist, um, one of the few female journalists that I think there were in Gilded Age. Um, and she is investigating a string of murders. So she's back again with Treachery on 10th Street, Gilded Gotham Mysteries, book three by Kate Belly. We also have The Socialite's Guide to Murder, Pinnacle Hotel Mystery, book one by S.K. Golden. This is about a woman who is living in a hotel that is her refuge. But then scandal and murder begin to overtake what was once a peaceful place. This is The Socialite's Guide to Murder, Pinnacle Hotel Mysteries, book one by S.K. Golden. All right, shifting gears here to talk about some romance and women's fiction. I have Before I Do by Sophie Cousins. This is about a person who is trying to stop a wedding. She knows that this wedding is not supposed to take place. And what will she do about it? This is Before I Do by Sophie Cousins. We also have a new Adriana Herrera book, which is always a phenomenal thing. This is On the Hustle. It is Dating in Dallas, book two. And again, it's by Adriana Herrera. Um, this is not one of her like better known series. I feel like Herrera is best known for her American Dreamer series. And she also wrote a historical romance earlier this year, which started a new series. But this is a contemporary romance series featuring a family. And it is the second one is out this week. And again, it is On the Hustle, Dating in Dallas, book two by Adriana Herrera. We have a new Annika Martin book, which makes Stacy and Sarah very, very happy. This is Butt Dialing the Billionaire, Billionaires of Manhattan, book seven by Annika Martin. You may remember a couple months ago, um, we talked about some Annika Martin 
on um, an Enemies to Lovers episode, I think. So this is that same series, but the newest book. And again, it is Butt Dialing the Billionaire, Billionaires of Manhattan, Book 7 by Annika Martin. There is a new Merrill Wilsner book. It's called Mistakes Were Made out this week. And you may remember Wilsner from a couple of years ago when she wrote Something to Talk About. This one, Mistakes Were Made, is about a woman who is in love with her best friend's mother. Again, this is Mistakes Were Made by Meryl Wilsner. And lastly, I want to talk about a historical novel. Cradles of the Reich by Jennifer Coburn is out this week. This is historical fiction about the Lebensborn homes in Germany during the Second World War and sort of Hitler's dream of creating the perfect race. Once again, this is Cradles of the Reich by Jennifer Coburn. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope that your TBR piles are growing in leaps and bounds. I hope you are enjoying the fall. It is getting cold here in my part of the country. So everyone stay safe and of course, read lots of great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.